Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. Keep your head up, marching on. Don't another stand in your way. Hello there, warrior. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have a conversation with Dr. Colleen Reichman. She's a clinical psychologist and the founder of Wildflower Therapy, a practice that specializes in eating disorders and body image. She's also co-author of the book, The Inside Scoop on Eating Disorder Recovery. Colleen not only has lived experience of recovering from an eating disorder, but she is also a go-to expert on recovery and tangential topics related to it, like perfectionism. And today, we're gonna be talking about perfectionism. Now, perfectionism is a trait that is so common in people experiencing food and body struggles. Sometimes it can be a beneficial thing, but often it becomes destructive and absolutely debilitating. So we are going to break down the more helpful and less helpful aspects of perfectionism and discuss how knowing the difference can help you in your recovery. And if you're a recovering perfectionist like me, I think you'll get a lot of value out of connecting with the library of audio affirmations we have for you through the Daily Growth Habit at recoverywarriors.com slash habit. Now, the Daily Growth Habit is a simple concept that 15 minutes of your day is 1% of your day. And in other words, 1% of your day is 15 minutes. So if you spend these 15 minutes, just 1%, incrementally improving yourself, over time, you will see results. And one way you can do this, 1% of your day, is to focus on listening to recovery-affirming affirmations that are going to help you get to where you want to be. Because when we can change our thoughts, we can change our life. And in this private library of audio affirmations, they are designed specifically for you in your struggles with food, body, and love. Only Recovery Warriors insiders get access, and it's super easy to become one. In order to do that, just head to recoverywarriors.com slash habit and request a free invite. Once you do, you'll get your private invitation link and be able to listen to the daily growth habit affirmations directly from your podcast player. Once again, to get in on this special gift only for Recovery Warriors insiders, go to recoverywarriors.com slash habit to get access. And I will put the link down below in your episode notes. And in the future, we will be adding a specific audio affirmation track for perfectionism, overcoming perfectionism. So stay tuned for that. Now, let's get into this conversation about perfectionism with Dr. Colleen Reichman. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much for being here to share your insights on perfectionism. I know you have a lot of personal and professional experience with this topic. So to start things off, I'd like to ask, what is perfectionism? How do you see it? So I think in short, it's the pursuit of perfection. I think of it as an ingrained personality trait almost, which is why I think it's difficult for people to hear that it's such a bad thing because it is, it's a driving personality factor um, 
kind of something that affects the way someone operates in the world, that they're just constantly searching for these, to meet these really high standards that they set for themselves. And then move the goalpost, basically. So the high standards are met and the goalpost moves. It can be a really great thing, perfectionism, because I think that it helps people achieve. Honestly, it helps people, you know, achieve their dreams, but it can kind of hold people back in a way because it, that goalpost is always moving. That's really frustrating if you conceptualize it in that way. So I think it can be really good and really bad. And sometimes both, actually most times both. For the same issue, or do you find that like there's certain areas of life that perfectionism can be helpful and in other areas more like destructive? I think that I think about it more as there's certain times in life, like lower stress times that perfectionism can be kind of helpful, like studying for a test that's not super, super high stakes. Perfectionism, I think, can lead someone to study a lot harder or read their paper for mistakes like three times, which can be super adaptive. I think in the higher stress times is when it starts to kind of coincide with anxiety and then backfire on people. So it becomes like this self-perpetuating loop of chasing perfectionism, getting more anxious about what's coming up and that you're not going to be perfect for it, getting more into the perfectionism chase. And that's kind of the times I see it backfiring. So I think it can be really helpful with work to a point and school. Um, I think it can really, really be a detriment a lot of the time with food, exercise, eating, eating disorders. Would you say perfectionism is connected with anxiety? Like, do they share same neural pathways or any type of things that are happening in the brain? Yeah, I think it's, they're definitely connected. There's so much research that has the two correlated, but it's just not, it's not necessarily like a simple relationship. Like there's no um, set perfectionism causes anxiety or anxiety causes perfectionism. It's kind of like a gray area type relationship. Like for some people, it might be that they're just born with this perfectionistic trait. And then over the years, just having that moving goalpost creates anxiety. Like chasing the perfect then sort of works to quell the anxiety for a little bit. And then the anxiety goes back up when the goalpost moves. And then I think for some people perfectionism might develop as more of a response to anxiety than they already had. Almost like if I feel really anxious about, I'm anxious about my social relationships or something, I could use perfectionism to address that anxiety in a way, like um, write out cards for myself before I meet people or be extra scrupulous in terms of what I'm saying to people. So it's, they're definitely connected. 100%. We have a lot of research to back that up, but it's kind of almost a chicken and egg type phenomenon where we're not sure what causes which or if one causes the other. And then where does uh, obsessive compulsive disorder kind of fit in with these? Is that expression of anxiety? I would say obsessive compulsive disorder is very linked with anxiety and less than we likely think with perfectionism. Like I think we as a society kind of uh, we use OCD almost like a, a euphemism for perfectionism or perfectionism for as a euphemism for OCD. Totally. It's like, like, oh, I have OCD. Like, yeah, exactly. People say that all the time. Yeah, like, I'm so OCD, so I have to read this paper three times. Or I had a doctor recently say I was getting a shot, and she was like, I'm really, really OCD, so I'm going to clean this really well. And I was <laughs> like, 
that's not, I, I don't know where that happened. That I guess because OCD is this disorder that people have these obsessions and then ritualistic behavior and a lot of the obsessions and compulsions line up with like cleaning and like checking, which sort of reminds people of perfectionism. Someone wants their house to be their a perfectionist with their house or something being clean. But I think that in terms of OCD, the brain stuff that happens in somebody that has that disorder is very different than what you'd see in somebody with just kind of normative perfectionism. You see, you kind of see deficits in executive functioning and cognitive flexibility, pretty severe deficits. It's a completely different brain scan than somebody without OCD and perfectionism. The thing with OCD is that people are kind of doing the the rituals to address anxiety and they don't the rituals really have nothing to do with being perfect or trying to achieve something, whereas perfectionism normally does. That's a great answer because I think a lot of times what I've heard from people who struggle with um, OCD, it's like they know that these behaviors are kind of abnormal. They don't want to be washing their hands like 20 times before yeah. they leave. And so it's, it actually gets in the way. Now, perfectionism, though, is different, right? Because a lot of times that's something that society puts a lot of value on. How can you work with it in order to not have it be a destructive force in your life? I mean, I think first identifying whether it's... So there's this big difference in the literature between what they call self-oriented perfectionism, which they say is adaptive most of the time. And that's perfectionism where you're kind of setting the standards for yourself and you're working to prove yourself something. It's perfectionism, I guess, with the underlying belief that I'm enough, you know, whether I meet this or not. So it sounds to me more like high achieving than perfectionism, but the research literature calls it self-oriented perfectionism. And so identifying whether what's going on with you is that versus other oriented perfectionism or socially prescribed perfectionism. And that's like setting these high standards because you think you have to prove something to other people and that nobody's going to value you unless you're perfect, basically, which I think that makes sense why that's that's really correlated with eating disorders, depression, um, generalized anxiety disorder. And it kind of makes sense because if you're, you know, doing all this stuff and chasing these high standards because you want to meet other people's expectations, we can't control what other people think, right? So it's kind of... It's this, it just makes for a never ending race. Whereas if you're, we can control to a point what we think about ourselves and where these standards are for ourselves. And we can work to cognitively reframe, like, you know, if I didn't get the highest grade in the class, at least I got an A, right? So that for me is awesome. Versus if you're kind of trying to prove it to other people, if you didn't get the highest grade in the class, there's always someone else that you didn't prove it to, right? The person who got the higher grade. Coming back around to answer your question, I think that it's really identifying which one it is. Are you chasing perfect or are you really high achieving for yourself versus for other people? That's kind of step one in terms of making it adaptive and then seeing if you can reframe what you're doing in order to achieve perfect to make it more about yourself than other people that's really important as well. And I also think that learning how to be a perfectionist to a point is super important. I sort of think society, I think we value perfectionism, but I also think we're always saying like challenger perfectionism or kind of talking about how it's a negative trait as well. 
I worked at two different eating disorder facilities, and there were perfectionism groups in both facilities. The patients hated those groups. I hated having to call them because they'll be like, it's time for cognitive behavioral therapy perfectionism. And they'll be like, we're all perfectionistic and we don't want to change. So what do you want? Like, we're not coming to that group, which I kind of understood because I'm the same way. I feel like if you told me I have to take away this ingrained personality trait, I'd be like, no, this is how I got my doctorate. Like I understood that. So I think it's learning how to make it work towards you. So keeping your perfectionism, making sure it's self-oriented and then learning how to make it be perfectionistic to a point, which is definitely an art. First, let's just pull back the curtain to the word perfection, because the whole idea is like that really doesn't fully exist. What do you mean by like to a point? Is there kind of some flexibility if you don't hit certain goals? Yeah. And I think what you first said with pulling back the curtain on the word perfect is really important and perfectionism to a point because, yeah, recognizing that perfect actually doesn't exist. So if you want to sign up for like that goal post chase, that's fine. You're just, you're chasing a disappearing goal post to understanding when to stop and like go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, that took a lot of work, perfectionism to a point. Like even in my job today, I take it very, very seriously, making sure that I shut down the perfectionism at some point. For me, that looks like I'm not the person that stays latest at the office. Like I don't, I want to work really hard and I want to do a lot of stuff and I want to set all these goals and present and all this stuff. But I have to also understand that there's always going to be someone at my job where I work that stays later than I do. And I let it go. Do you find that kind of there's certain areas of people's lives that they'll really compartmentalize the more of the perfectionism? Yeah, I think that school and work are two big ones that people sometimes laser focus on. And that I think is due to the fact that it's so like concrete. We have concrete feedback if we're being perfect or if we're closer to that perfect goal, especially in school. You have grades and like numerical values showing you if you got to where you wanted to achieve. I think that that sets us up early on as perfectionists or people with this personality trait to be chasing those concrete, yes, I was almost perfect here, basically for the rest of our lives. I see that as kind of a problem with schools because, for example, I went to school, college and grad school all the way through. So I had this feedback, this numerical feedback. It's a lot of years. (laughs) And I got grades back saying if I measured up or not. And it gave me a very consistent way to like frame my world. When I got into the job force, like what is this? And where do I get my feedback from that I'm up to par and that I'm, you know, making strides and I'm achieving things? Where's the feedback? Because these evaluations are not cutting it. So I think that it definitely sets us up for chasing the numerical values of perfectionism. And that's like school and work. Because I guess salary and stuff like that can be and hours worked and all that is kind of easy to measure when it comes to work. But I think that some people have that all-encompassing perfectionism that then also translates to relationships. Like wanting to have the perfect relationships, wanting to have the perfect um, like home. Like when you leave in the morning, if you can't have a dish in the sink. Um, yeah, so it can extend to pretty much every aspect of life. And that, I think, gets exhausting. And that can get really dysfunctional because you cannot be the one that wakes up the earliest, works out the most, has the cleanest house, 
stays after work the longest, does the most side projects and have the best relationship and with like your family and kids and significant other, like you have to systematically learn to pick and choose and let certain things go. You have to, or you will lose your mind. And the people that do look like they're doing it, I think are probably the most unhappy people. Exhausting is such a good word to describe it. I had a similar story with going through grad school and going continuing from undergrad to grad. And then it was this major identity shift. And do you find that a lot of people you work with also have that struggle where they get out of the school system, which they've used so long to define themselves and in the grades and then that transition as as eating behaviors kind of developed around that time or kind of unhealthy eating behaviors as a way to cope with that lack of structure and essentially validation, I think, if if one's not doing self-oriented. I know the literature makes this huge distinction. I think self-oriented perfectionism, it's probably on a bell curve. And when you get to the very end of the bell curve, that's when it can start to get dysfunctional, even with yourself, like setting these high standards, regardless of what people in my life are saying. But the other or the socially prescribed perfectionism makes perfect sense no matter where you are on that bell curve. If you're chasing something and trying to be perfect in all these different areas and it's for other people, there's no control there. There's no like, none of it's in your control. You're doing all this work for other people and you can't change what they think. You can't actually ever achieve what you're trying to achieve. In terms of people I work with, I've definitely seen people develop this disorder eating or this disorder relationship with exercise after graduating college or after leaving school because, yeah, there's no structure there. So it's just something very specific to put in place of like books and and tests and essays and stuff where you can say, I was perfect here today or I achieved that goal of this amount of pounds lost or that amount of macros hit or like that amount of calories under these amount of steps. It's just another way of numerically quantifying our existence. Yeah. So what are ways, like if someone's at that spot, you know, they have that app that's telling them how many calories they're eating this today and, you know, making sure they're doing nice logging of their their exercise. Um, I think deleting the app is always the first item, like infamous for having people delete those apps in my office and throwing away the food logging books or any other of those like ways of logging or keeping track of the numerical value of exercise. The thing about that, and there's where the relationship with anxiety comes in, because when you do that, if that's your way of finding structure, your anxiety is going to kind of skyrocket when you don't have it. It's not going to feel like glorious at first. So you want to have the tools to challenge all the thoughts that are going to arise. Like I should be doing this. I'm not doing enough now. I'm lazy. But also have um, something else to invest some energy in that you can't be perfect on. Like there is no perfect in art, for example, or writing or just something that's more abstract. And and the idea between like numbers and abstract, I know that there are obviously amazing musicians and artists and people who live more in that abstract world who are still perfectionists, but it it is kind of a medium or difference where a lot of people go, I'm not creative because creativity doesn't have this kind of set bounds and framework. Have you found that people can have anxiety trying to do more creative activities? I would say more often than not, that's the response that I get. I helped run some art therapy sessions and there was a lot of, I'm not doing art therapy because I'm not good at art. I'm not good at drawing. I'm not good at painting. Like I'm not doing this because I'm not good at it. 
So there was a lot of reframing that everybody's creative because we're born with imagination. We are born creative beings. We want to create. That doesn't always mean we want to be like Picasso or whatever, but we just, we want to like do and make and be creative. And so if you can take away the standards and just try your best to go into it like the second grader, like second grade us who would come home with the weird drawing of the cat that had six heads and be like, I drew a cat and it wasn't like true to life and it wasn't perfect, but it was like the cat. Maybe your mom put up in the fridge because it was your like creation. If we can get more into that mindset when trying to replace the counting and the logging and all that, I think that's our best bet. It is important though, right? Because it allows you to kind of train that part of your brain to work and, and not have set measuring sticks to, to work from in order to derive that pleasure. Right. It's just for yourself. And it's, yeah, there's no achievement. Like just making something is the achievement. And if you can keep challenging the perfectionistic thoughts that come up, like that is the achievement. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's so much to talk about with perfectionism. One thing that comes to mind is this idea of wanting to be perfect at your diet and then the binges come. Well, how do you see perfectionism work in with people who are starting to do intuitive eating? So people who are now kind of, okay, maybe I'm going to stop dieting. I understand that this sets me up for binges. And then this idea of then going into intuitive eating. I think that diets are perfectionists' worst nightmare and like best dream all at once because there's that illusion of control during the restricting phase. And then there's always the loss of control. I mean, it's pretty much biological. It's human to then lose control and binge and feel like you just screwed everything up and are a total failure. And then, but it's right there. It's like so provocative and right there to go right back to the diet and accounting and like the immediate gratification. It's very easy to see why perfectionism and dieting go hand in hand, but are the perfect storm. So I think removing ourselves from the perfect storm and trying to go into intuitive eating is incredibly tricky. Like that's why it takes so much dogged effort and so much time and energy to learn how to do. And I've experienced this myself. It's so easy to go from rigid dieting to trying to intuitively eat and then making intuitive eating about being perfect, like being perfectly intuitive. So in essence, like real intuitive eating is not being intuitive all the time. Like it's very gray area. That's not where perfectionism really exists. And, and I think the progression often goes like learning how to intuitively eat and then getting into perfectionism in intuitive eating. Once you've got kind of the basics, like I listen to my hunger and satiety cues. Well, actually intuitive eating is like eating past being full sometimes and, you know, not listening to your hunger cues perfectly this time or letting yourself get too hungry sometimes because you were just like involved in life and living your life and then coming back forgiving that for happening or just like being flexible about it and eating a little bit more here. Um, it's about eating out at a restaurant. If your friends are there and there's not exactly what your body's wanting, it's about adapting to that and kind of just living your life. It's about making food central and decentral in your life at the same time. It, it sounds so easy though. It's like eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full and, it, and there you go. I mean, it's so hard once you've like thrown everything off. Yeah, I love that explanation. It's true. It's like there's this dichotomous relationship, but 
And, and the really what you need to have is that kind of flexibility. And would you say it's just more of something like time and dedication for one to get to where they're really at a point in their, where they're eating intuitively? Yeah. And I think working with a dietitian is huge and work and just having a, a therapist to kind of help you out, especially when you get into the territory of, wait a second, I'm not perfect at intuitive eating. When you get into that territory, I think it's super helpful to have a therapist to sort of help you cognitively reframe those things until you're sort of just doing that for yourself as you move forward and a dietitian to help you continue to, if possible, a dietitian or just help to foster the intuitive eating as you go along. So I think that's why, if it's possible, having sort of a treatment team that stays with you once you advance in recovery is really, really beneficial to that long-term goal of intuitive eating. And for, for perfectionism, you, you know, you talked about the goalpost always moving. And I find that it can be challenging with these, these goalposts of actually taking rest and allowing yourself to take in the achievement. Have you found that in, in your process or in helping um, your clients about really taking the time to honor certain milestones that you hit? Yeah, I definitely think that's huge in terms of making your perfection work towards you. One thing that I always do is have people, if they're struggling with this issue, start logging three things a day that they're proud of themselves for and ask that people do the smallest things possible. Like when I was doing this back in the day, I would log things like, wore like a really fun pair of socks. I like that I picked that out. That was like cool of me. And or things like, didn't trip today and like I normally do. So go me. So the smallest things possible. And I always say to people, the less monumental and less life-changing, the better for this exercise, because it's basically just rewiring your brain to start noticing and appreciate the small little acts of achievement that we have all throughout the day. So I think that that's super important because life gets really long, but it's always about the long-term goal. And life gets really, really long and we're living right now. So it has to be about appreciating and celebrating yourself for the daily stuff as well. And for me personally, I found it really helpful to reframe days where I um, didn't achieve goals or days where I was just like, like muddling through and I felt like, okay, it was only little things. I didn't, it, it hasn't added up to the long term end goal. I reframed it as like, well, I was living today in the arena of life and I was like getting my ass kicked. And that's, that's the achievement for today. Like I was getting my ass kicked out there living like in it. And I thought that that was something that's helped me reframe even now, like gave a presentation recently that I didn't, I didn't like love how it went. And I was getting my, I was went out and got my ass kicked. That's the achievement for today. And that is, that is an achievement because you're in life, you're living it, you're kind of living it in color. And then another thing would be reframing, for example, with eating disorders and exercise. So if you're perfectionistic about hitting a goal each day, like running this amount of miles or going to the gym for this long, and you're working with somebody or just on yourself to reduce that, to kind of dial that back because it's getting in the way of your life, then when the alarm hits like 5 a.m., and use press news, that is the achievement. So whatever your mind and your perfectionistic side of your brain is saying, you need to go do, actually doing the opposite of is the achievement for the day. So sitting there and kind of like breathing and not working out, no matter what society says or that inner critic or your perfectionistic drive says, that is you 
achieving something like monumental so reframing those moments for yourself as well yeah that's such an important point is that that's oftentimes it's contradictory to what we really want to be doing and in your presentation that's a perfect example of with perfectionism it's not always going to go exactly like you want it to right and so what ways did you kind of work with the emotions that came up like shame or certain emotions can start to come up if you feel like you didn't if you give your best performance yeah feeling like the negative emotions that are inevitable like they're gonna come if you don't hit that goal or you feel like you didn't achieve like for that presentation there were definitely negative emotions that i had there was disappointment so for me noticing feelings is just number one that's most important and understanding and reminding myself that feelings are not fact so feeling like a failure in no way actually means that i'm a failure that's really integral but it's okay to feel that way and feel it very strongly just so one thing that i've learned to do is just let it like rise and fall and then it will go away so it's not about like not feeling shame or any of the more stigmatized emotions or fear or sadness or disappointing myself it's reminding myself well i can feel that way and it's not true but you still feel that way and it's okay and it's going to kind of rise and fall eventually so in the meantime just be nice to yourself instead of the old standby of being like really cruel to yourself and making everything worse long term just like be kind to yourself and good job getting your ass kicked yeah it makes such a big difference the way you turn to yourself after a point of vulnerability cuz i think whenever we're vulnerable in life give great space for emotions to come in and and it's like everything that perfectionism doesn't want you to do in terms of being vulnerable because like there's no control there perfectionism can be kind of a wall against vulnerability you don't have to really engage in life with you because i'm engaging with numbers and achievements and long-term stuff so There's a Simon and Garf. I think it's Simon and Garfunkel. Do you listen to them? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm on vinyl. I'm a rock. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's such a great song. It's totally the yeah. I had a therapist back in the day who was like, "Colleen, this is what you are doing. This song is like you. This is what you're acting like. You need to listen to it and really take it in." And moving forward, now years and years later, I think of that song when i start to get into perfectionism and like not coming home to eat dinner with my family because i'm at work doing like all this stuff i think if i'm a rock and it's time to like really achieve my perfectionism and just move more towards vulnerability and not the i am a rock song yeah it's it, the lyrics are really really interesting just this idea of it's the island never cries this idea of if you can like wrap yourself and surround yourself by in your own little world then you don't have to experience connection with others. What's interesting with perfectionism though is a lot of achievements you can be making can make you appear as though you're connecting or like can put you out there in the world so like if you're in the the best on your team, captain of the team for example and you're you're perfecting that uh skill and that athletic skill but yet you're only you're not connecting with your teammates on a deeper more vulnerable level. Yeah, or because like you're not stopping because you're the best a lot of the time because like when the team goes out for pizza afterwards, <laughs> you're then practicing your drills or whatever happens on the side. So that keeps you from really engaging in life because if the goalpost is always moving and there's always something more to achieve and you really want to be you're also scared of just vulnerability and connecting, it's a really easy way to 
do both, like moving towards achievement and not have to deal with that and just funnel all my energy here. So it's really actually sensible when you think about how the pattern develops. It's not a sensible way to live, but it makes it makes total sense how it happens, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the good of the perfectionism is it can help you achieve things in life. The bad is this idea of leading to disconnection, withdrawal. Yeah. And then the ugly, from what I'm getting from you, is when you really let that take over your world and the numbers become the really defining point. Absolutely. When you're kind of across the end of the bell curve and the way other end of the continuum and there's no gray area anymore. It's like got the best grade in the class or failed completely. That's definitely the ugly, I think, because then life can't be lived fully. Yeah, perfection. That's a great idea of the, uh, bringing up the idea of uh, all or nothing, the black and white. And that's very rooted in perfectionism. Would you say that's something that you see a lot of cognitive distortion that's tied up with perfectionism? Yes. I work at the College of William Mary right now, and I notice that black and white thinking is something that gets addressed often. I just think that it's so, it's almost like in our high achievement glorification of busy society, it's really hard not to get sucked into the black and white thinking, which then can really tie into perfectionism, obviously, because if it's all or nothing, I'm perfect or I'm horrible. Mm-hmm. So our society, I think, like you were saying at the beginning, kind of pushes people towards that which is not good because life is lived in the gray area. So, and nothing at the end of the day is all or nothing. Like there's just so few things that are actually black or white. So living that way, like it's either clean food or completely dirty food or I'm perfect or I'm horrible. I have it all together. I'm a total mess. I like achieved my calorie count for the day or I totally blew it perfect that intuitive eating or I'm like horrible at it. Yeah. I like how all the examples you use because it really is just in so many different areas of your life. Those, those kind of all or nothing thoughts can come up. Do you see any other cognitive distortions that can be heavily wrapped up in, in perfectionism? I think that catastrophizing seems to like perfectionism. It's very easy to go from, I did my best or I, I got this good grade to, and that's kind of a, healthy response to the black and white thing response of I didn't get the very best grade in the class. And that means that I'm not the best in the class, which means that I'm never actually going to get into like medical school because they only take the top 10%. What's going to happen to me? What if I like fail out of college? And then uh, all of a sudden in like a matter of seconds, you find yourself imagining yourself like homeless on the streets without your degree and stuff because you didn't get the best grade in the class. And that's catastrophizing, snowball thinking. And so I think that's the other big one. And then also projection. I always talk with clients about the perfect example is like, if you ever have a zit, you get really weird with people. You make it so weird because you're projecting that they're looking at it and they're thinking about it. And so you end up just making the interaction so much more awkward than it has to be. And I feel like we've all had to, it can't just be me. Like we've all done this before. It's kind of you just projecting. And most of the time, the person's not, we're pretty wrapped up in ourselves. And another common thing with perfectionism is like to call out the less than perfect thing. You know, let's see, like design something. And then you're like, oh yeah, but this is really bad. I don't like how it looks here. Instead of just like stepping back and seeing the whole entirety of it. And that's like the moving goalpost. Like I can't appreciate this right here, what I did, because 
that whole post is still moving. And also there's like these little errors or flaws and then it gets an all or nothing. So then it's like total crack. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing that's helped with me in my journey to working with perfectionism in a constructive way is, is trying to kind of understand the principles of non-attachment and self-compassion in a sense. Do you find that that's been helpful for you as well to be able to have a goal but not attach everything to it? Because if you don't hit it or if it somehow changes to be adaptable? Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of, it sounds really morbid, but this thing that I do is the funeral exercise. I'll talk about what do you want on your gravestone when you die? And people, a lot of times will say things like, good sister, loving mother. It always comes back to relationships most of the time and just like caring about people. Then I'll bring it back to like, I noticed you didn't say on your gravestone, you want etched, got a 4.0. I, you didn't say like, here lies Sarah, she was thin. Like she was extra thin. She was this amount of weight. Like none of those things are on your gravestone because these are all goals that at the end of the day, if you're constantly chasing, you're not living really towards your values because most of our values don't actually line up with any of that perfectionism type goals. From my work, being a perfectionist, I try to reframe it as it's towards my values because I want to give back to the world and I want to like you realize Colleen, she helps people or something. So if you can find a way to reframe the goals so that you're not super attached to them because they're not like gravestone goals, right? But you're also making sure you're living in line with some of those gravestone goals and letting yourself be like a little bit more attached to those. While also understanding that those are not like the end all be all either. It's a lot of gray area. It's working towards things while reminding yourself, like you said, that it's the goal. It's not you at the end of the day, or it's the goal. It's not like gravestone important. That exercise is really powerful. And you know how you said most of the time it's connection with people that we're really wanting. And it just is so clear to me. A lot of times the pursuit of these achievements is because you think that the validation, this is more of that self-oriented or the other oriented, is that people will then love you for that. From what I'm hearing from you is that that there's this self-oriented one where you can find deeper values of why you want to achieve and you can find connection while achieving them. Right. Another thing I'll have people do to address that exact idea, like I'm doing this, that people love me or people think I'm enough. Like I'm losing all this weight. It's that people accept me finally. If people list their top three, just most beloved people in their lives and then list out all the reasons that they love them, And I'll be like, so, and it's just never happened that one of the reasons has been, you know, she was, she's super thin and she's so like close to my heart because of that. It's never the reason. So it's like what you're working towards to be accepted by others or loved, it's not actually going to get you there. It's more these values, this value behavior and fostering the connection. And you can bring in the self-oriented perfectionism for the more achievement related stuff. And then to keep that more on the bell curve and then attach with people like foster your social relationships, knowing that achievement doesn't actually really matter for those things or being perfect certainly doesn't matter. It actually doesn't help relationships at all to be perfect. There was kind of this, this, um, it was a course that I took and it was talking about the feminine versus the masculine and the masculine is, you know, very like linear and action taking and then the feminine is more like receptive I think that's so interesting. And I've definitely, I've heard about that in the archetypes. Yeah. And how they're the masculine type. Those qualities are much more celebrated in our culture. And I think that that's so true. And that's probably what drives the overwhelming 
majority of us that have perfectionism or identify as type A. So I think it's probably cultural too that we really embrace the masculine like achievement, you know, listing off my everything that I've done. So that probably drives people to think like, well, that's where I should be putting my energy into. And that's why I need to be perfect in these arenas. Yeah. Well, we are kind of getting to the end here. So I, I want to wrap it up. I really love how you talked about the bell curve with this perfectionism and knowing that there's kind of middle zone where perfectionism has its perks and isn't something to feel like you need to completely do away with if, if you have perfectionistic tendencies. So thank you so much, Dr. Colleen Reichman. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Colleen Reichman. You can connect with her on her website, colleenreichman.com or her Instagram account at Dr. Colleen Reichman. All of these links are below for you in the episode notes. Now let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one, perfectionism is helpful to a point. Now there are pros and cons to perfectionism and it's important to know the difference between self-oriented perfectionism versus socially prescribed perfectionism. Self-oriented perfectionism is adaptive and it's when you're working to prove something only to yourself. It's perfectionism with the underlying belief that you are enough whether you achieve something or not. Socially prescribed perfectionism is when you set high standards to prove things to other people and there's an underlying belief that no one will value you unless you're perfect. Now, this type of perfectionism is correlated with eating disorders and anxiety. It makes for a never-ending race. As Colleen puts it, the goalposts are constantly moving. Colleen also talks about the bell curve of perfectionism and how finding its middle ground can help you use perfectionism as a perk. This can be achieved through working on perfectionism in compassionate ways and adopting principles of non-attachment. It's helpful to have goals, but achieving them is not a measure of your worth. It's important to remember that sometimes goals and plans change, so be adaptable and flexible as needed. And remember, above all, perfect doesn't exist. So that is key takeaway number one. Perfectionism is helpful to a point. Key takeaway number two, not achieving is the achievement. Challenging your perfectionism is hard. It can be very anxiety-inducing to work against it, especially when you're so used to measuring your worth and accomplishments through hard numbers like grades, weight, or hours worked. Going against this probably won't feel good at first. One thing Colleen suggests to help challenge perfectionism is logging three things a day that you are proud of yourself for. One thing that I always do is have people, if they're struggling with this issue, start logging three things a day that they're proud of themselves for and ask that people do the smallest things possible. Like when I was doing this back in the day, I would log things like, wore like a really fun pair of socks. I like that I picked that out. That was like cool of me. And or things like didn't trip today and like I normally do. So go me. So the smallest things possible. And I always say to people, the less monumental and less life-changing, the better for this exercise, because it's basically just rewiring your brain to start noticing and appreciate the small little acts of achievement that we have all throughout the day. So I think that that's super important because life gets really long, but it's always about the long-term goal. And life gets really, really long and we're living right now. So it has to be about appreciating and celebrating yourself for the daily stuff as well. Challenge those thoughts that come up and tell you that you're lazy or out of control. 
Connect with the daily growth habit in the audio affirmation libraries that we have set up for you at recoverywarriors.com slash habit. These audio affirmations are designed to help you weed out toxic thoughts and seed and grow new thoughts in their place. Whenever you feel like you failed to be perfect, notice your feelings and remember that feelings are not facts and that not achieving is the achievement. That was takeaway number two. Not achieving is the achievement. Finally, key takeaway number three. Perfectionism can prevent you from connecting. Perfectionism can be a wall against vulnerability because when you are vulnerable, you're giving up control. You're essentially embracing uncertainty and you're taking a risk and you're allowing yourself to expose your emotions. And when you're too far into perfectionism, it creates disconnection and withdrawal from others and yourself. Putting away perfectionism and moving towards vulnerability can help you connect more with others in life and with your own values. Colleen talks more about this when she explains the funeral exercise. It sounds really morbid, but this thing that I do is the funeral exercise. I'll talk about what do you want on your gravestone when you die. And people, a lot of times, will say things like, good sister, loving mother. It always comes back to relationships most of the time and just like caring about people. Then I'll bring it back to like, I noticed you didn't say on your gravestone you want etched God of 4.0. I, you didn't say like, here lies Sarah, she was thin. Like, she was extra thin. She was this amount of weight. Like, none of those things are on your gravestone because these are all goals that at the end of the day, if you're constantly chasing, you're not living really towards your values because most of our values don't actually line up with any of that perfectionism type goals. Find a way to reframe your goals and live more in line with what you truly want to be seen as and remembered for. Live aligned with your values unrelated to anything external or physical. And remember that your goals are not the end-all be-all. Connection is key. And as I always like to say, we don't become our best selves by ourselves. So remember, perfectionism can't prevent you from connecting. So these are our three key takeaways from this conversation with Dr. Colleen Reichman. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.